There's a lot to say when buying a new home or car, but only one thing to say that can help you protect them. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, a State Farm agent will be there to help you choose the coverage you need, no matter where you are in life. When you need coverage options, your State Farm agent is there to help, on the phone or in person. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Hey, welcome to Nerdist Podcast number 298. <laughs> I'm sitting in Chloe's apartment while she is vigorously making uh, cupcakes for you're not making cupcakes? I'm making cookies today, cupcakes tomorrow. She's making a lot of cookies today and <laughs> decided for Christmas to make themed cupcakes for every one of her friends. <laughs> it's it is like cupcake again in the kitchen. There's flour and dough. It is the if the end of the world is going to come in cupcake form, then uh, I'm just going to lie on my back in the street and wait for cupcake goodness to take me into the netherworld. Um, but uh, I will be performing in Bloomington, Indiana, mid-January. I believe those dates would be uh, January. Oh, I almost have it. The 17th through the 19th. So if you go to nerdist.com/calendar, you can figure out ways to get tickets to that. I also would like to thank a brand new sponsor of the Nerdist Podcast, Thing X. ThingX.com uh, is uh, basically a collaboration between Adult Swim and former writers of The Onion. Uh, you can see my pal Joe Randazzo uh, lurking around on there. It's really, it's um, super funny. There's, there's sort of like, there's articles and there's videos and there's original series. There's underground comedy talent that you haven't heard of. And then also overground talent that used to be underground talent. But then because they were funny, they got to emerge from the ground and then be public. Uh, it's influenced by sci-fi. There's horror. There's how-to videos. There's pretty much everything you can find on the internet. Uh, Thing X is sort of a one-stop shop. I want to point out that it is not evil. It is satirizing the World Wide Web. The WWW, as some of the kids call it. Uh, and they have a new series with Tim Heidecker and Greg Turkington, a.k.a. Neil Hamburger. There's also interviews with Paul Tompkins, a four-year-old boy, a lobster man, and more. Go to ThingX.com, uh, brought to you by Adult Swim and former writers of The Onion, ThingX.com. And now this episode of the Nerdist Podcast is my, is my old friend Paul Gilmartin. Paul hosted Dinner and a Movie for the run of Dinner and a Movie. And uh, he was a really funny stand-up, really great guy. Had a lot of struggles with, uh, with mental illness throughout his life. And, uh, you know, within his family and then struggle, struggles of his own. 
and started a podcast a couple of years ago called the Mental Illness Happy Hour, which is a wonderful podcast. I've been on it. Uh, it's just a very open, honest, uh, sometimes funny, sometimes uh, sometimes <laughs> dramatic, but in a in a good, heartfelt, healthy kind of a way so I, I you know really check out the mental illness happy hour and we talk a lot about that stuff in here there's you know very probably kind of similar to the maria bamford podcast we just did um just kind of frank and but but not not so weighty i mean like a lot of times when people talk about mental health stuff it's just very serious and of course it's a serious thing and deserves to be treated respectfully but also you can just talk about it you know like it doesn't we're people, and people have shit to deal with, and it's okay just to talk about it. Um, so this was a really great, uh, this was a really great time that we had uh, had Paul on. Uh, we recorded this a couple months ago, and I've been hanging on to it. Kind of this idea, like I'll drop it around the holidays when when a lot of the mental stuff percolates to the surface <laughs> because of the holidays. But uh, loved having Paul on. Check out his podcast. Uh, and here it is, Nerds Podcast number 298 with Paul Gilmartin. Now entering Nerdist.com. traffic in a minute, but then some of our listeners send in naked pictures of their girlfriends in a little segment we like to call the petting zoo. Uh, <laughs> that's my favorite part about uh, radio is like those kind of shock jock things that where they just have like, we got a lot of beautiful women in here. It's like, well, good, good for you. It's like, it's like hearing someone have a good time next door to you. <laughs> I'm a pussy magnet, but unfortunately the pussies and I are of like polarity. That's a physics joke. Where are all my physics bitches? Paul G. Martin, thank you for being here on the podcast. Uh, it's my pleasure. I'm uh, I'm excited to be here. I'm 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 now, glad you had me on. Now let's talk about feelings. Now let's, let's talk, talk about, about what feelings. feelings. <laughs> talk about feelings. What are you building right now, Paul? What are you building? Paul, Paul G. Martin, you're a master woodworker. Um, what what that, furniture? That's an exaggeration. What furniture are you building in your garage right now? Well, actually, you saw kind of the the prototype of of what I want to build more of uh, when. Uh, uh, Janet, your your ex did that installation. Um, Which, why'd you have to bring that up? <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna be okay. That was the uh, Arizona one, the Arizona Spaceman one. Yes, yeah, yes. it was. Uh, it was Santa Fe uh, astronaut. astronaut. Santa Fe astronaut. They did that. Yeah, she and Jessica Makinson did their art show, and that was the theme. And it turned. They got a lot of fucking great stuff. And I yeah. bought a lot of different that types stuff. of stuff. That was what was cool about the installation. Yeah, uh, and so. Janet asked me to make something for it, and the idea that I came up with was to get a slab of mesquite wood, which is indigenous to the Southwest, and then to inlay um, the guts of the motherboard of a computer. Mm -hmm. uh, and I had an old computer laying around, so I took it apart, and uh, that a lot of people really liked it, and I thought, oh, that might be a fun thing to to build for people, is to, to get slabs of wood and have that contrast you know the, the slab of wood where the yeah. you know, it's got the free edges and it, it looks like nature and have the contrast of maybe people's old computer guts 
put uh, inlaid into like like an urn top. almost like they yeah. have their own like that like a like a taxidermy pet yeah <laughs> they can keep by the fireplace I mean the the piece was great I will say that Jen and I both agree that that piece did start the demise of our relationship but I don't want you to feel bad about that <laughs> I don't want you to feel bad I about knew that I should have used a more slender leg I just. <laughs> That's a fucking beautiful line for some reason. <laughs> I should have used more slender leg. Is there any last thoughts before you die? I should have used, used more slender, slender leg. leg. Uh, Casey what? had that thought, actually. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if Santa Fe astronaut, if you could have just put Kevin Spacey in uh, like a Southwestern shirt and he would have technically qualified to be sold at the auction. <laughs> Maybe. Because he's... Because he's played an astronaut. And his last name is Spacey. Oh, I got you. Yeah. Oh, oh, I see. didn't get that. Oh, yeah, that didn't occur to me. I find the best jokes have to be explained, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I always find it's best for the comic yeah. when he has to do the dot, dot, dot. Mm. Well, because his last yeah. name is... It's always nice. Is good. It's nice if you haven't gotten your uh, daily uh, regimen of awkward silence. I, I think so. Yeah. I think awkward <laughs> silence... It's awkward. Greatest podcast, providing awkward silence since 2010. Yeah, awkward, our awkward silence is, is, is the comics meditation time. But since we're talking about uh, meditation and, uh, and, and mental illness, <laughs> uh, when did you decide to start your podcast? I think it was, what was it, like two years ago? Is that about right? Uh, it, the first episode went up in March or April of uh, 2011, yeah. so uh, about a year and a half ago. It's only been a year and a half? Mm -hmm. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. It just feels like the show's been a thing for a while now. The mental illness happy now, happy hour. Well, the the maybe because the AV club started covering it uh, in like its f fifth or sixth week, so it got on the radar pretty pretty quick. So maybe maybe that's why. Yeah. Um, but uh, the idea for it came up. I've I've dealt with mental illness, my own mental illness for probably most of my life, I, I believe, but I was diagnosed with clinical depression in, uh, in 2000. And I had no idea. I thought just life was really difficult and everybody was assholes. And if they would just <laughs> behave the way I needed uh, them to, I still don't see the that's error not, there. Not totally wrong. <laughs> I still don't see the problem with any of that. And wanting to kill myself once an hour. Okay. <laughs> once an hour. All right. All right. And if just you skip the, an hour, twice the next one. Just, <laughs> just the way a radio station has to ID itself at the top yeah. of every hour. And it's 12 o'clock right now. And I'm uh, jump off of. <laughs> uh, so I, uh, at the urging of my wife, I went to see a, a, a shrink and realized that, uh, yes, I was very clinically depressed. And also I had a drinking and drug problem. And so uh, dealt with the drinking and drugs. And then uh, the shrink was able to uh, help get my mental illness under uh, under control. And uh, all of a sudden I realized, oh, this is what normal feels like. This is where, where there's not crushing anxiety all the time, where you don't uh, scream at, at people while you're driving, people that aren't even there, just arguments that you'd like to have. Uh, the next or remembering old arguments and getting re-pissed about yeah, them. It's, it's one of my personal oh, favorites. Yes, the, the things that you would have liked to have said. Yeah, I run all these like douchebag simulations <laughs> where I'm like, these are the different ways that could have played out when I, I got I, in an argument with that guy. I tend to bum myself out when I'm driving around and I'll think of like, uh, like something funny I could have said in a situation from years ago. And I'll be 
like that. I like, missed oh, that opportunity. Man, that would have been yeah. great. <laughs> I like I like Chris's like version of the danger room from X Men. He's just in there. Oh yeah, douchebag. Yeah. Yeah. Like somebody could invent a comedy vanity time machine so you could go back and say the perfect cutting thing. <laughs> but then it just changes the entire course of your life. Yeah, we ha you know we have to do a certain amount of suffering in order to in order to figure out what's funny about the world. We do. I, I actually, I know you're kidding, but you know, we, we, I, I truly believe. I, that. I, I, no, I'm serious. Oh, I do okay. believe that we do, because, you know, if you kind of need a little bit of that, huh, okay, fuck everything before you want to start making fun of it and deconstructing and figuring it out. Like if you're just, you know, people, people who are just super upbeat and happy all the time, uh, with the exception of Will Ferrell, don't really think to go do comedy. I, I don't think because they just sort of feel like oh, everything's all sorted out. Like you know, with comedy, we're really dealing with stuff and we have to express things. And there's a real commentary that's involved. Yeah, and there's there's a reason why the captain of the football team is boring when he's forty years old. Yeah. <laughs> well, they're boring by the time they're like twenty five. Yeah. I thought they were boring in high school. They're boring in high school too. Yeah, they're boring. In um. But they're the, boring holes in all the cheerleaders, to borrow a term from Paul's uh, master woodsman. Woodsman, you're a woodworker. Uh, pedophile, right? <laughs> <laughs> you're woodsman. Wasn't that the, the, the movie with uh, Kevin Bacon? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where he has his, the woodsman. Yeah. That was a good movie. I liked it. Yeah, yeah. I didn't, yeah. I didn't it was ballsy it. to to take on such a an unsympathetic uh, character. Yeah, but like you do feel bad for you him, do. which is like the weirdest part about the movie is that like you're just like you're like oh poor pedophile. Wait a minute. <laughs> well, there are some directors who are really good at. at I mean, like uh, like Todd Solons does a bunch of that where he tries to make you empathize with the worst people in the world yeah. and, and, and happiness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like and and it and it kind of fucks with your your idea of what a protagonist should be and and i think in, a, in that way it's kind of an interesting art experiment that yeah, way I, like yeah. i think the same thing with a lot of the jody hill uh stuff where it's like you know eastbound and down it's kind of daring yes. you to root for kenny powers who you shouldn't be rooting for right. you know you're like and same thing with um i think breaking bad right now where it's like this whole time you're like come on walter you can you can and then like finally now you're just like oh fuck you yeah. but he's the lead so who do you root for well, but we're we're at a time where a lot of lead characters are despicable characters, like all, all, like almost every show has despicable lead characters. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's a commentary about. I love it. Yeah, yeah. It, it was so boring. Uh, the the era of everybody, all the lead characters had to be the guy next door that rescues kittens. And it's like, okay, we get it. We know you want to. Now the protagonist is the guy next door who rescues kittens and then fucks them in his basement. But yeah, we still love know. him anyway. That was a good Dexter episode. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, you know, uh, I, I, I'm interested to talk to you a little bit about, you know, what you think, what do you think actually defines clinical depression versus, you know, um, how we're essentially... There's a lot of over-medicating going on, and people Absolutely. people, people are, I mean, you know, when people, as someone said to me not long ago, like, well, do you think people should be on antidepressants? I'm like, well, that's not, that is a complex question. Yes, some people need to be, yeah. need to even out the chemistry of their brain, but a lot of people do not, uh, and Kyle Dunnigan had a, has a really great bit where he's it's, he's playing a song on the piano and he's he it's something about uh, Xanax or some some sort of a drug and then and then he he just very offhandedly ends it with 
because why should I ever have to feel an uncomfortable emotion? Mm. And it, I think it really sort of defines where we are. Culturally, right. is a lot of people, if they even feel slight discomfort throughout the day, like, well, I should be on, I should be on pills. Like, right. no, sometimes, you know, like, you, sometimes things are just not awesome. Yeah, uh, I, I think that medication should be the last house on the on the block. I think you should try every other thing um, to, to deal with it. I think you should try um, exercise, nutrition, therapy, um, spirituality, uh, all. And by that, I don't mean organized religions, you know, could be uh, yoga, meditation, um, volunteer work, you know, stuff to stuff to pick up your spirit. Mm -hmm. Um if you're doing all those things and you're still feeling uh, that sense of doom, then then I believe it's a it's a chemical thing, and that's that's what I had to do because I've gone off them many times after learning to meditate. I was like, okay, maybe well, well that was the missing piece of the puzzle, and I go off my meds, and the doom comes back, and the tears over over nothing. That's very dangerous um, too up. to go off your meds. It is, and my psychiatrist strongly urged me not to, but. Uh, you know, I was pre-med, so I, uh, <laughs> I, I got it. Yeah, it's like, you know, if, like the, uh, the whole Brody Stevens breakdown was caused off of him just dropping off of his uh, Lexapro? Uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure uh, yeah. what he was on, but yeah, it, it, it's, it's really dangerous, and most psychiatrists recommend against it, but nobody likes to be beholden to a big evil corporation that makes pills and doesn't tell you what some of the side effects might be. Right. You know, that that is the part about taking meds that I hate. That explains your shoulder cock. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a it's bigger than my actual cock, yeah. which is the irony. Yeah. It really makes now me if we could just find a way to harvest it. That was, uh, <laughs> harvest it. <laughs> There's a lot of lean oh, fucking. Yeah, right. You just have to you like you lean on people in the subway. Like. <laughs> uh, so, you know, my my opinion on meds is yes, a lot of people jump to that to be the first thing and they don't want to deal with what you know that's not going to help you overcome childhood trauma no or, no 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 or the and fact that you're eating junk food 24 hours a day well i mean we you know i don't i don't remember I how keep it to 12 i don't i don't remember how in depth we got on in this when i went on your when i went on your podcast but um you know the idea that uh when i when i quit drinking it, there was a flood of emotions i mean i was so up and down and it, I, it was almost like you know <laughs> i was almost like this baby vampire who didn't know how to deal with the weird hunger you know like yeah. it was this guy because i I had been stifling any emotions for so long by just drinking every day for years that um you know it was like oh this is what <laughs> i mean in a weird sort of way it was almost like it was almost like getting hearing back, back yeah. after not having it or get, you know, like, I mean, maybe not as severe as that, but still like developing a sense that I wasn't accustomed to having of like, oh, that's what this is supposed to feel like. Oh, OK. Yeah, no, that feels awful. But as, as you start to get older and wiser, you start figuring out that, you know, there are ways to deal with that stuff and it doesn't have to be the end of everything. Yeah. You know, I, I liken using drugs and alcohol uh, compulsively to uh, like uh, like a caveman tool. You know, it. It worked when that was the only tool you had. Yeah. But at a certain point, you need more sophisticated tools to cope with overwhelming emotion. Because to me, you know, addiction, um, you know, compulsive uh, acting out of any kind, it's all about trying to f escape uh, emotions that are that are overwhelming. And to me, the, the goal is to try to find the best tools for the certain situations that present themselves and 
I've had to develop tools, which I wouldn't have done if I didn't have mental illness and if I wasn't an alcoholic and a drug addict. Yeah. So I'm grateful in many ways that I am because those tools now I can use when I go into a business situation and I'm starting to feel anxiety that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not enough, you know, that yeah. I'm, I'm looked down on or, you know, I'm going to get a shitty deal or whatever. So in some ways, it's good. Like you were saying, the, the, the kid that isn't popular has to deconstruct things and learn how to look at the world. It can help you in, in, in other ways. So I, don't, I certainly don't regret it, but there's times, like when my depression comes back, that it's just, and I don't want to get out of bed, and it's just, looking at a dish in the sink, I just think, I can't. I can't even wash that. It's just, it's uh, crippling almost. Um, that's when it's like, okay, I'm really not <laughs> happy to have this. And to be, and to be oh, you hit your you hit your microphone button there. Your hands on your oh, uh, yeah. There you my go. My bad. That's um, all right. That's that's when it, it it's uh, I don't see any any good in it. But th- those times don't last uh, that long. Well, as long as you know that, then somewhere in the back of your, I mean, the tricky thing about anxiety is that no matter how many times you have it, it still can trick you. Into saying, no, no, I know those other times were just yes. some axons misfiring, but this is the, uh, it, it, this it, is really the time like where it's, it's like a breakup where it's just like, um, I know I was really sad about that last one, yeah. but this, this one is the real one. Yeah. You know, I had a doctor, I, I've never actually been on, um, well, you know, actually when I was in my twenties, a doctor gave me Wellbutrin to quit smoking, uh, which actually worked, mm-hmm. uh, but then I started again, but then I quit again. Wellbutrin. <laughs> Neither. No, I took it for. I didn't realize at the time what it was, and then when I found out that what it was, I thought it was just a quit smoking pill. I'm like, yeah. no, no, that's just a side effect. It's actually a. I was like, oh fuck! I, and then I did, and then I stopped taking it. They put me on that when I was seventeen. What oh is it, fuck! What is it for? Wellbutrin. It's, it's an antidepressant, but it's, it's it works on your dopamine. It it, it, it for me, I took once one of the drugs that I take, and it helps with um, if you're lacking uh, vigor. Um, a lot. A what about vim? Uh, Vim, no, it's actually an anti-Vim. Okay. Moxie, yeah, Moxie. Spunk. It evens it. It, it, yeah. it pretty it go. pretty much evens out your pep levels. Take everything yeah. with yeah. Moxie. Uh, <laughs> but to to get back to your, to your question a while back, which was what what um, led to me coming up with the idea for the podcast, it was exactly that. It was the the last time I had gone off my meds, or actually, I think it was two times ago. The darkness came back, and. Having experienced the darkness and then it going away and feeling what normal is like. Because uh, psych meds don't make you euphoric. They just make you not want to kill yourself right. when you're working. Not, you know, they allow you to get out of bed. Uh, so the darkness came back and I realized, oh my God, I forgot how real it is when it presents itself. Right. There are millions of people out there that don't know that. I should do a podcast where I paint the picture for people that are experiencing it so they know they're not alone. They know that you can't overcome it. And I can describe what it's like to get help, all that other stuff. And I can have people come on and they can talk about their experiences with Have this. you thought about touring with any of this? Like in, in the, no, but seriously, like yeah. in the sense where that it's sort of like a seminar, but really it's a... Sort of a comedy, but there's a comedy element to it. I mean, just I, ha- I, I have, think it's, it's actually my dream is 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 to do it. I, I thought you were being facetious, like a com- doing a, a a comedy. No, no, no. I mean, I mean, like show. you know, if you if if you if you because now now you have audience, you you have an audience, and people you know people would come out and see you, and so if you could just go to places and sort of give the hey, you know, here's what depression is. If you have it, 
here's you know here's how you can start to deal with it but at the same time it's you so it's going to be funny uh and it really is kind of a I think it's just a different approach to the to what what that seminar would normally look like. Well, that was the other reason uh, when I came up with the with the idea for the podcast was I, I realized that there's there's really there were only two camps of ways for dealing with uh, mental illness, depression, self help. There was the Doctor Phil talking down to you, and there was the precious new agey, re, you know, release your buttocks into Mother Earth, you mm-hmm. know, kind of. Sounds great. <laughs> And I thought nobody's talking about this in the way my friends and I talk about right. shit. And so I thought it would fill that that void. And and it has. People like hearing somebody talk about it in a way that that isn't precious or condescending. Yeah, I mean, I did I did a little bit in the book talking about anxiety in in, in my in, in my book because I just felt like so much talk about that stuff is is that people walk on eggshell and they're like yeah. hey you know what uh we could t- I, I feel like it gives us a little more power over it to be like hey it's fucking you know like let's just fucking figure it out you know it sucks uh but we experience it and fuck it we'll just we'll just figure yeah. it out there, i mean there is a certain joy to swapping jokes about being molested with somebody on the podcast you know i i was molested by a neighbor and it, there there's something very freeing because you're not a victim anymore. If you can laugh about it with, with somebody else, obviously you need to process it before that. Of course. <laughs> but um, there, Start crying right in the middle of a bit. It was weird. <laughs> there are jokes that you can crack when you have lived through, you know, years of feeling suicidal and having been molested and being an alcoholic and a drug addict and your father having tried to kill himself, you know, all that darkness, but it doesn't, it's not who I am today. And it, it, it's freeing to be able to look back at at it and to be able to talk with somebody else and they know that you've lived through it so you can joke about things that somebody who hasn't lived it never ever well could. because you've overcome it and you it, it again it gives you it it gives you kind of a you're sort of wielding power over it and saying like I can deride you because you didn't kill me, yeah. <laughs> and, which is I, I I think is sort of a that is a that is a badge that you have earned, you know. Thanks, I I appreciate that. Some days I I don't feel worthy of that because I think that there's too much responsibility that comes with it. My big fear doing the podcast is that people are going to think that I think I'm an expert, and I say the intro to every show is this isn't the doctor's office. Um, it's not meant as a substitute for professional mental counseling. It's not, it's not their doctor's office. It's more like a waiting room that hopefully doesn't suck. And (laughs) my big message is get help. I am not your help. While I may have stuff to share uh, occasionally that is helpful, the gist of it is to let people know this is a thing. It's real. You're not alone. You got help. So tell other people I have to get help. The jackass, a pompous ass like me can, uh, learn to get help. Anybody. Anybody, you know, yeah. I when I was um, right right after I quit drinking, and I or right around the time that I quit drinking, I was experiencing horrible, horrible, horrible anxiety, and then, and then you find like, oh, you're suppressing anxiety by numbing yourself with alcohol, but the chemical effect that that has long term on your body is that it actually creates more anxiety, which makes you drink more. Like it, it really, it's, like when you go into withdrawal, and then you have more anxiety, so you just and then you start drinking all the time, and you know, you just try to stay in that numb state so you don't have to feel anything yeah. um but uh, right around that time a doctor gave me uh he, he i was never put on antidepressants for any kind of mental uh anything uh, other than the quitting smoking thing you know a long time ago 
But he put me on. It was a really interesting approach. He put me on um, blood pressure medication. Really? So that I my my blood pressure would be low, so that I wouldn't uh, go into anxiety mode. And and I'm not recommending that people go do this. It just I'm just telling you that for me, it actually kind of worked for a little while until uh, one time with uh, with a lady. I uh, couldn't uh, couldn't uh, make it happen because right because I was taking blood pressure medication and I was like. Uh, Daddy's got to have his boners. Uh, no more pills. <laughs> I use that excuse too, Chris. <laughs> what? I use that same excuse. Yeah. So all I'm saying is because I took that pill a long time ago is why I don't get boners now. <laughs> no, guys, I get plenty of boners now. Okay, I just right want to make that clear. But you were able to break the news to her in a very relaxed manner. <laughs> Here's the situation. <laughs> my parents went away for a week's vacation. Yeah. They took the keys to the brand new Porsche uh, um, and well, my boner pills. What? What of though the um, the idea that how do you decipher between, because I have, you know, I, I'm not on any medication. I drink regularly. Um, uh, but there are times where I feel good. There are times that, where I just, like, I'm not feeling too great. And what's the... Uh, that's life. That's just that's life, long, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, people thinking that if you go on meds, you're not going to experience sadness or disappointment. No, you still experience those things. But they don't keep you in the house for a week. Yeah. You know, they don't have you in tears, um, unable to, to, to function. Also, every little thing shouldn't feel like, well, this is the worst thing that's ever happened. And now everything's fucked up forever. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. I, I had a, I had a girlfriend, uh, we were living together and she went on Lexapro as a, like anti-anxiety cause she was just working all the time. And getting What's really her up. name? <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, it was weird cause like, you know, we had a bunch of problems and it was like always kind of tense and argumentative and she went on Lexapro and it was like having the best version <laughs> of that girlfriend. And it was weird because I was like, I didn't want to say anything. I didn't want to jinx it. I just, I was like, you know, it was like, we started like having sex again. We like, were having fun. She was like smiling a lot more. And I was like, I was like, oh, I fucking love science. Like, this is yeah. great. That's a perfect way of putting it, Jonah, because that's what one of my shrinks said to me is he said, it, it doesn't change who you are. It allows the real you to come forward because it's not masked by a chemical imbalance. Well, it just, you know, because you're fucking with brain chemistry, you just have to make sure that you have a professional that you trust. Because if, if, if you start taking pill, if like, if you get a doctor who's just like, eh, take a bunch of these pills, you start getting cocktails of pills. Well, this will bring you up here, but then this will even, you know, that's when you start getting into really dangerous territory. Like Ozzy Osbourne. If you don't know what oh, you're yeah, doing. He's into the Aussies. Well, and, and, and drinking with them. And drinking is, with is them, yeah. Uh, because not a good idea. Yeah, but a buddy of mine, he's, I, I forget what he's taken, but like he says, uh, like when he's on the, uh, the drugs, uh, he just doesn't feel like drinking. And like, it's like he'll have a beer and be like, nah, I'm all right. Which is weird because it's curbed that, even though it's making him feel better. Yeah. Which makes sense because it curbs the anxiety. And for problem drinkers, that's the reason why we drink is because we want to, we can't relax like like a normal person can. We can't shut that spinning brain off. And what's a, and I, I you know I, I know how Chris was drinking because I I met you when you were still drinking and yeah yeah and like but like what was what was the case in your drinking that you thought it was a problem? Uh, I, that that's a good question because I didn't think I was an alcoholic even though every Almost every male in my genetic tree is is an alcoholic. Um, I oh, didn't yeah. drink during the day. I didn't drink when I golfed. I mean, I I I never had a DUI, so I thought 
but I did drink every night, and I would drink anywhere from two or three beers to 12, depending yeah. on where I was. It's funny, after you quit, and then you get a little distance from it, you look back and you start going, oh, that's why I did, oh, or oh, that's why... I had that all the time, or oh no, you shouldn't do that every like you. you I I got so much clarity that I just didn't have because the 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 gift and the detriment to humanity is that we are uh, we are violently adaptable, which is you know why we have survived uh, you know to to our level of the food chain is that we're incredibly adaptable and so we you can adapt to any environment pretty much and when you're sort of in that for me anyway that sort of you know like that, that hardcore drinking environment it for most of the time it didn't seem that weird to me and it just sort of felt like this is fine and then uh and i and i couldn't imagine how i wouldn't be able to you know like get on a plane and not have beers or whatever but then when you quit you go no no, no that was just a fucked up pattern that i had and i can adapt to this other way but it's you know people who are on crazy cocktails of pills and drinking and it's just fucking it's just fucking nuts yeah, it, it, it is shocking sometimes to look back and see what your life was like and how that became your normal and uh, how kind of small and sad you begin to accept things are. Because if you're afraid to ask for help, and that, that's the thing I really stress on the show is ask for help. It's the smartest thing you can ever do. People think, oh, if I ask for help, that makes me look weak. You know, weakness is running away from a problem. Strength is staring that problem in the face and saying, I, I need reinforcements. That, that to me is the ultimate strength is facing that problem. Yeah. But most people can't get over that, that societal kind of myth that you're, you're weak if you ask for help. But it, I saying, I need help. I can't do this on my own. It saved, absolutely saved my life. And that's the thing I try to urge people to do. Uh, one of the things on the on the podcast I have is there's there's about a half dozen surveys that that people can uh, can take on the on the website because I want to I, I love learning about the listeners and hearing what it is that they're going through and especially their shame and their secrets. And one of the surveys <laughs> I have is called the Shame and Secret Survey, and people share their deepest, darkest thoughts, fantasies, secrets, and it is absolutely fascinating. And it's really educated me on the shit that people bury and the sick coping mechanisms that, that they have. I, I've, I've found at least a half a dozen women who were asleep, a guy started having sex with them, and they were so afraid of confronting the guy, they pretended that they were asleep and allowed themselves. You mean like a guy that they knew or a guy who literally just raped them in their sleep? Uh, like somebody somebody at a party. Oh, my God. A cousin. And, and then they carry this shame around that they couldn't stick up for themselves. That's how, that's how deep our inability, of, if, if we had some type of trauma in childhood or, you know, we're raised in a really dysfunctional environment, that's how deep our inability to stand up for ourselves can be. And that's one of the things that I talk about a lot on the podcast is how to have compassion for yourself, how to learn to stick up for yourself. Because a lot of us were raised by super needy, inappropriate parents that didn't have boundaries. And so we learn that our needs aren't important and we have to serve their needs. So we grow up not even knowing what our needs are. All we know is if I can make everybody in the room feel okay, 
then I'll be okay. Well, it's not only that, but you know, like I, yeah, I was, uh, you know, I, I was raised. I mean, I went to Catholic school, which is just like <laughs> its own. I mean, there, yeah. you know, there were some good. There were there were a lot of really good parts to it, obviously. But then there's the whole like. You should feel bad about everything. And we were, I mean, like, the whole idea of, like, we were born to sin. We were born out of sin, you know? And it's like, come on, fucking, let's, and there, and, and we carry that, you know, through, through the rest of our lives. And there's, there's such an economy of guilt with particularly Catholics and also Jews that I'm, that I know it's like, just that whole idea of, like, you should feel bad about everything. Like, how many conversations have you gotten into with people where you're like, I feel bad that I made you feel bad and now I feel bad about that. And now you feel bad. And now I feel bad that you're feeling, but then you feel worse because I feel like there's so much, it's just, there's so much wasted energy on, on useless, like uh, (laughs) guilt that creates anxiety. There's a funny thing about that too, where it's, um, you know, you could feel bad, but just feel bad. Don't feel bad on upon feeling bad. Like uh, that's like something I try to like, you know, me and my girlfriend talk about a lot. Where it's like it's like it's like oh I did this I'm so angry at myself and then I feel bad because I'm getting angry at myself and mm-hmm. I was like well wait those are two different things feel just the one feel right. bad that you messed up there are it's, so many layers of guilt and, and, yeah. and my belief on that is that's actually a narcissism and self obsession disguised as I'm disciplining myself uh, you know people that beat themselves up all the time it's a way of allowing yourself to continue obsessing about yourself. It's really quite selfish. That's an interesting point of view that I'd never considered before, but I think I might have to agree with you. Yeah, that makes sense. You're very sense. selfish, Chris. <laughs> Were you talking to now, me? Now, don't I was beat yourself up if you realize that about yourself. That's uh, the other thing I stress on the podcast is to get outside of yourself. Volunteer work, support groups, you know, uh, hobbies, things where you interact with, with other people and you can stop sitting in, in your lazy boy trying to predict what the world is going to uh, look like, how it's going to unfold, because that that is one of the hallmarks of mental illness is just sitting there and obsessing about the future, or at least compulsive negative thinking. Okay, now is this a hallmark? I just, all I obsessed about was lazy boy, and now I really <laughs> want a lazy boy. I should get a lazy boy, right? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's time for you to get a lazy no, boy. No, I think you should keep on listening to what everybody's saying. I mean, again, I, 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 don't understand. I think I may have said this on the podcast before, but I, I, you know, I think it's, I think a good rule of thumb is, uh, you know, learn from the past, plan for the future, but live in the present. Absolutely. You know, a the, which lot is of the, words. it is a lot of words, but if you, but you know, your brain can only focus on one thing at a time. You have, you, we cannot, it is impossible even though you, even though we can multitask to a degree, it is impossible to focus on more than one thing at a time. So if, like you said, get outside yourself, go volunteer, you're going to be focused on that, and that will take you out of like stand up was always a cure for anxiety for me because I couldn't focus on my anxiety when I was on stage because I was just too in yeah. the. It is literally impossible to focus on two things at once. So if you can get outside that for even a minute. It just sort of it, you can distract your brain in other in other directions, and I think that's what a lot of us do who suffer from any form of anxiety or depression. It's just we're constantly trying to distract ourselves from the chatter. Yeah, that's the the bliss of losing yourself in a hobby, and you know the the nerd brain, as you as you describe it, needs that thing to obsess on. I mean, there's a reason why I've been obsessive about every single hobby I've ever had. You know, the first time I bought a camera, within a year and a half, I had taken so many pictures. The, the picture counter rolled over. <laughs> you, you know, the first time I started buying domain names, within 
four days, I had 500 domain names. Jeez. And this was when they were 70 bucks a pop. I what, went into debt. What's, what's your dumbest domain name that you own? Old People Fucking. <laughs> <laughs> now get this. .net. I didn't think even .com was enough. That's how oh sick my. Oh, I thought you were gonna was. say that and .com wasn't available. What was the What was the idea behind that? Was it's like I'm gonna get all these and then I'm gonna fucking sell them when someone yeah. comes knocking? Yeah. Have you sold oh. any of those? Two. Two of them. Which ones? The rest of them I, I let go. I sold um uh I old think people blue farting. comedy or blue comedy or X rated comedy. I can't I can't remember what what the name of it was. Um. There's, there was two or three that I saw, but most of them were just flaming balls of shit. Yeah, and that was like kind of like that was almost kind of like gambling. You were just that yeah. was a gamble. Oh was, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But when you are in your mental illness, you think you're so anxious. You think this is my savior. I thought this is the wild west. This is the land rush, and in many ways it was, but not for old people. Fucking dot net. <laughs> well, now hang on. Yeah, mine, I, I should have brought the list that, in. that never. Uh, mine never were. Uh, mine just were old people fucking dot TV. <laughs> uh, mine were. Uh, mine were. Uh, Dude, my nipples are huge. Dot com, <laughs> and uh, and papal nip slips. I thought would be really funny. Just like a Tumblr, like just a page of like, of just fake Pope, like Pope nip slips throughout the ages. My friend, uh, as a joke, true story, uh, sandpaper condom. <laughs> and uh and he, like in his head he was like it was going to be a weird side then he just like ah now it's just my side no, it's just, just, yeah, this, this is what i tell people to go to yeah um do, you, do, you, do this the, you brought some paperwork here is this oh these are just some some of the surveys i thought if you guys were were uh interested in seeing some of the things that that people well like here i, I want to read this one this um, one of the things you can check on have you ever been the victim of sexual abuse is some stuff happened but i don't know if it counts as sexual abuse this is the most fascinating thing on the survey to me because you cannot believe what some people aren't sure is abusive or not. Dude, when I used to guest host Loveline and people would call in, uh, <laughs> there would always be some horrible thing that they didn't, that just didn't occur to them was the, or like a girl would go, like so a girl would call in and go, um, or like say, say a dude would call in and go, uh, yeah, uh, hey, um, you know, I don't know what it is, but I really like to be punched in the face during sex. You know, like, is there, what is that about? And Drew would go, well, you know, what happened to you when you were younger? Nothing. So really nothing happened. And then Drew would kind of lean away from the mic and he'd go sexual abuse and then go back to the, like, to just to me. And he'd go back to the mic and go, what, what happened to you when you were younger? And he'd go, you know, I can't really think of anything. Um, well, this one time I, you know, an uncle put three fingers in my butt. You know, when I was like four, could do you think that could be like they would literally, would literally yeah. like, do you think that could be it during the well, Ali Frazier yeah. fight? <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> my own personal rumble in the jungle. Yeah. So, so anytime I see jungles or getting hit in the face, um, but uh, but uh, I can't go to the Philippines without. But yeah, but it's just the idea that horrible things happen, but people just it just becomes so much a part of their mental routine that they don't stop to go oh actually that was a really fucked up thing that probably you know yielded all of these really horrible emotional results well, well you know I, I just went through one of those about three months ago i finally was able to see um my relationship with my mom for for what it was because as a kid i could never allow myself to say hey my primary caregiver is abusive um it just, I couldn't go there, so I would blame myself on the things that she would do, the things that she would say, uh, you know, the boundaries that were creepy that she would she would violate, because I couldn't, 
a little kid can't go there. So that because that's that it's too terrifying. Well, it doesn't even make sense when you're a little kid. You don't have the experience and wisdom to know. You just think, oh, this is how it works. Yeah. This is how, you know, re- the, these types of this is what every kid, you know, goes through yeah. and they just don't know. So what, what is an example of this, some this, of the stuff? This is from a, uh, a girl who a woman is in her 30s. Um, it, she checked the box. Some stuff happened. Don't know if it counts as sexual abuse. Uh, and then she explains my stepdad, who was re- never good when it starts off with stepdad. Not sure. Um my stepdad, who raised me and I love very much, used to watch me in the shower from the ages of 13 to 17. I'd often see the door open when I was in the shower, but could never catch who it was because by the time I was done, whoever was at the door would be gone. We moved when I turned 17 in a house that had a bathroom in my bedroom, so the peep- peeping stopped until one day I saw a shadow at the bottom of my bedroom door. I opened my door to find my stepdad on his stomach peeping under the door. When I asked what he was doing, he said he was checking to see if I was awake. Uh. She doesn't consider that abusive. It is it is definitely violating. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that, if someone yeah. is if someone is looking at your exposed body in a way that they that they that they are being sneaky about it and yeah. you don't uh, know what's devil's happening. Devil's advocate, how else are you gonna know if she's awake? <laughs> okay. All you right. know, Matt Brings up a really not valid point at all. What uh, and so did you write back? Did you talk about it on the no, show? Th- these one of the things that I that I do is I don't get people's um, email addresses sure. or even the IP address sure, of sure, their sure. computer because I've had people admit to crimes. Um, I want them to feel completely assured that they can unload the deepest, darkest stuff. So you just get their social security number and just the last their, two yeah, addresses. I mean, it's sort of it's ID. sort of like you know with. Uh, I have the same, I sort of had the same approach as you with like, I'm not an expert. I'm a guy who went through a bunch of shit, but I do feel like, you know, if you have, if you have the platform and you can get to enough people and just at least get them to start asking the right questions, then it's sort of up to them. You know, like you, you have the, you have the ability to be a catalyst really. Absolutely. So you may not necessarily be an expert, but you're really... You you know you're an expert catalyst in a, in, a, in a sort of way, and, and that's and that's what I hope to be. And I get a lot of emails from people who thank me for letting them know that they shouldn't be ashamed to go see a psychiatrist, to go see a therapist, to go to a support group, or to just open up. I had a woman who filled out uh, a shame and secret survey um, a couple of weeks ago, and I read her survey, and she she was. Um, so touched that I had read her survey, um, she emailed me, and then she opened up more about stuff, and I encouraged her to go to therapy and to, you know, find a safe friend to talk to, and she did, and she wrote me back, and she said that she has a new lease on life, that her soul feels lighter, because she shared stuff with this other safe friend, and then that person shared stuff, and she's like, and now we have this real relationship, and we're not talking about the weather, and that to me is... What the what the podcast was well, meant to and meant I to and, do. and when I when I say to people you know uh, if someone's having a rough time or whatever and I go you know m- maybe you should talk to someone and like even if it's a therapist and they go well I don't need some psychiatrist to tell like like there's this kind of old idea about like what that means and I always say listen you 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 know you have to think of it like exercise you know even if you do nothing more 
then one hour a week, you go in to talk to someone and you can be as selfish with your time as possible and just get stuff out to a person who is not only a professional, but will not judge you. That is really important because it's sort of like you have to release the steams, like you have to turn the valves regularly because that shit builds up. And it just it need we are beings who need to communicate and we need to express things, but we're also horrified of being judged and we feel guilt. So you need to be in it within a, a, a relationship dynamic where you are safe and that will not happen. And even just that alone, even if nothing crazy is going on in your life, it is very helpful, I think, to mental health to just have that kind of relationship because you can't you can't always dump that shit off on your significant other. You know, Jan, I don't think this is talking too much out of out of. This is a too uh, revelatory, but you know there was a period in my relationship with Janet where we kind of had that rela- toward, toward each other. It was just like out in the world we had we were like, oh, everything's great. And then we come home and we just dump all our problems on each other, and that's not healthy for a relationship. Yeah, no, the, it, and people think that um, if you go to a therapist, you're going to a therapist because that person is smarter than you. And so a lot of people never go to therapy because they're like, no, I know any therapist that I'm going to go to is not as smart as me. But it's not about intelligence. It's about having a different perspective. And therapy is almost like you need to look at the back of your head. You can never look at the back of your head. You need somebody else to describe the back of your head to you. And that's that's what therapy is. It's um, it's. It's a it's a process, also kind of like the weightlifting that you were talking about. It stuff needs to come out. That's the, exactly that's yeah. exa- you know like the the D- David Allen, who is a big productivity guru, who I you know I based a lot of stuff on when I when I wrote in the, in the book. His whole thing about and, and this 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 spills over into productivity is that you can't start to become productive about your life until you see everything laid out in front of you. Like you have to. Every time you have an open loop in your head or a task, you have to get it down on paper so that you can see it, so you can figure out what to do with it. And most people just sort of feel like, no, no, it's fine. I'm dealing with something. Like, no, no, no. You got to get it out. Fucking write it down. Tell it to someone. Make a, you know, like, you know, use your eye chat camera and just fuck and just get it out. Like, just say you just have to literally just get it out in the open because we, we are we are expressive beings, and that is that is how we have to exist. Yeah, writing is so therapeutic, and it gives you a perspective. It's it's it allows you to see a little bit of the back of your head. Uh, get getting it down on third on person, paper. third person perspective. Yeah, on yourself. Absolutely. Um, what is the what is what do you think is the worst shame and secrets that you've ever seen? Like what where where you where you kind of felt like. I think I need to fucking track this person down and really get them help. Uh, well, I had one guy uh, who uh, actually uh, had molested both of his daughters, but he um, he did time for it, and he's now in a uh, support group to help uh, you know deal deal with it. And he has total remorse, and he knows that his obligation now is to deal with his uh, sex addiction. And hmm. and to deal with that, I had uh, one person admit to uh, having killed somebody when he was thirteen, um, but he said it was a child molester, and he would do it again um, because I he, he think got that's away fair. With it. Uh, there, there, there's so many. Two thousand four three hundred people have taken the shame and secret survey so far and you can go and see everybody's results that's the one thing i wanted oh that's really interesting yeah i wanted everybody so 
when you, if you go to the, uh, the website, uh, which the, is the, the podcast is Mental Illness Happy Hour, and the po- the uh, website is mentalpod.com, and you'll see a little thing there that says survey and results, and you can either take the survey or you can look at the results. So you can scroll through all of the surveys, see how everybody responded to it. You can, uh, it, it, it's fascinating. I, I'm on there every day learning uh, about people, and uh, and there's also upbeat surveys. There's like ones where people list their happiest moments. Um, there's funny ones like vacation arguments because I've noticed like the worst arguments I've ever had in my relationship have been on vacation. Always. And, and there's yeah. something beautifully sick about like yelling while you've got a snorkel in your mouth, <laughs> you know, or giving somebody the silent treatment while you're wearing ski goggles. You know, it's yeah. just... I have a lot of theories about why people argue on vacations. Number one, I think it's I think it's slightly off putting to be out of your regular environment for any length of time. Uh, and you feel a little out of control, and so you might be a little more like, yeah, a little more, a little more prickly. Um, and uh, and also, uh, late at night is a bad time to have any kind of serious discussion about anything because you're just not all there. But particularly on vacation, I think you're you kind of uh, when you're when you're, when we're in our daily routine, our defenses are up because like I know my routine and my defenses are up and I can protect myself. Then you start to relax a little bit, defenses come down. Shit starts coming out that you've been walling up for a long time. And I think you both bring expectations to how the vacation is going to go. And every moment of a vacation, vacation is a compromise. So it's like <laughs> you're suddenly your two things have to have What do you mean you didn't pack that? Why didn't you pack that thing? You were supposed to pack the thing. Yeah. My wife and I were skiing one time in, in Mammoth. And she thought I was skiing too fast and ignoring her. And I thought she was purposely skiing too slow. And so we got in this huge argument, and we got on the chairlift, and she didn't sit quite right on the chairlift. So she's starting to fall off, and the chairlift's going higher and higher. And there's that point. And, and I've got her like in the movie where, you know, she's grip, gripping my forearm. I'm oh. gripping her forearm. And we're about, I don't know, five or six feet off the ground. And I have to decide, am I going to try to pull her up and risk if it doesn't work, we're going to then be at 12 feet and she's going to get hurt. Or do I let her go now, you know, and just get it over with? So you shot her. And so I just relished the moment and just looked at her with just a dead, dead face and said, I got to cut you loose. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even describe it, but it was like, fuck you. Yes, I understand. Yeah. And I'll fuck, see you thank in about 15 minutes, I think it's and we're going to th- talk about fuck, this. Fuck, thank you. Oh, my God. There's that gap, too, because you just yes. keep going up, and yes. you're just waiting there like, all right. What's How she going to say? Yeah. But we I'm, laugh about it to this, to to this day. Oh, my God. That's amazing. Yeah, oh, that my God. Was, but that, that made me think that I bet other people have vacation arguments. Um, oh, my God, of course. So, uh, you know, if anybody wants to, to go share uh, their their deepest, darkest Well, stuff. there's also the frustration of, like, this is supposed to be the happiest time of the year. <laughs> right. yeah. It's like, like you matter. on each other's nerves at Disneyland. Just like, come on! Right. I brought you here. I paid money for you to have fun. Now fucking have fun! I don't know how you guys feel around Christmas, but... Uh, I just I feel like a Martian around Christmas because everybody's so happy and I'm just always reminded of Christmas at my house, which was not happy. It felt like obligation. It just felt um, I just felt I don't know. I don't know how to describe it, but um, every time Christmas rolls around, I, I just don't I feel like 
Why can't I feel the way other people feel? I have it kind of both ways. Like my immediate family, we had a blast at Christmas. It was really casual for us. It was just kind of like presents and goofing off. Uh, but then we would have to go to my dad's, you know, family's like events. And it was just like, okay. Like it was like real. Everyone was angry. Everything was very like, here is your present. Like right. just everything with nothing, no joy. Yeah. You know, everyone fucking just, season telling me how to feel. It's like everybody was just waiting to leave. And like, it was like, we were like, oh, it's family. We have to yeah. do this. And my parents were just like, ah, don't worry. We'll go home and we'll watch Christmas story. And we'll just like, you know, we'll make some hot chocolate, you know. So. It's so nice that you had the other thing to go to go back to yeah 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 it was uh it was it was very nice it was like you know our, my family was uh sometimes to a fault like very casual <laughs> you know it's interesting because my my mother and i are fundamentally different in with the fact that she was raised with a very large family i mean she only had one brother but my grandfather had 10 brothers and sisters. And so holidays were always these huge family to do's. And every Sunday after they'd all, they were Italian Catholic, they'd all go to mass. And then my great grandparents and my great aunts would make these, you know, homemade Italian Sunday afternoon meals. And I'm an only child. And so I sort of, I am comfortable in isolation and I'm not a big family person just because I was, you know, I was allowed to be selfish when I was growing up because I didn't have, you know, we we di we didn't really I didn't really grow up near that a li little bit, but not much. And my poor mom is a very big family person, and I I'm just a, like, uh, let's, you know, I'm fine just alone. So it, it is a very interesting dynamic that we have, even with just my mom, because of the way that we were both raised so 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 differently. Yeah, there there is a dynamic. I've always loved being around big families because. It, it was the opposite of what it was like in my family. I, you know, I always joke that my my family growing up was like the movie Ordinary People without the belly laughs. <laughs> for, for those of you that are too young yeah, to uh, fucking, have seen the movie I mean, Ordinary, people. That, Ordinary mo people. that movie is heart-wrenching, but it is a fucking amazing movie. We had to watch that in high school. Our theology teacher showed it to Ours us. Ours too! Yeah. And it ended, and we all fucking, for some reason, we're all just a bunch of shitty high school kids, and we all just, like, cracked up and started clapping. Well, of course. it was over, and then he fucking turned off at the, he's like, I, in 20 years, I've never had that reaction to this movie. And I was like, well, it's pretty funny. Mary Tyler Moore does I mean, do some she, funny stuff. She, she's, I mean, you do, you do root for her to leave at the end, and you do root for Donald Sutherland to, well, now if you haven't seen it, I've just spoiled it. But it is a, but I, spoiler alert, it's really not 30 years old. Netflix instant. Um, but, but I, but I do recommend it as a movie because I think as a film, it, it, it so beautifully captures, uh, that, and as a book, it so beautifully captures that, that kind of dysfunctional, family dynamic you know some horrible thing happens but they have to have this perfect face of a family and so they mash it all down and then all that fucking shit magma starts bubbling to the surface you know and the elephant in the room that nobody will talk about yeah and, and then and, and, and it drives the, and the, the, the teenager to just like what you said about like when you're a kid and you don't know that you're there's supposed to be another way and he that poor timothy hutton's character connie literally does not is not equipped to be expressive because everything's supposed to be neat and perfect and tucked down, and he just doesn't understand. And when Judd Hirsch finally gets him to let it go, it just completely changes his his outlook. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's a beautiful, beautiful movie. But some people don't, you know, if you weren't raised around people that know how to express their emotions, it, and nobody teaches you, you don't know. 
how how to do that. And that's what my parents were like. They didn't know how to express their emotions. They were, I never saw my parents kiss. I never saw them hold hands. I never saw them express any affection. Fingering? I, I did hmm. see my, my dad fingered my mom. Okay, once. just one time. Um, but did they fight? When they were fingering? <laughs> fight fingering? Yeah. Fight fingering. Yeah. Oh, they, <laughs> Fightfingering.com. Why did ah, I not get that? Damn it! Oh, it's, why it's, didn't we catch you when you were in that obsessive uh, phase? Man, it's really easy. Just go, listen, you. <laughs> <laughs> you point your finger. Yeah, little, little. Uh, uh, but it, uh, if, you don't, if you don't know how to, to do that, it's, it's, it makes life really, really uh, difficult. But that's what my relationship with my parents w- was like. And I just, for once, wanted to scream, why the fuck are you married? You hate each other. But you don't. You just go smoke weed. Um, I think <laughs> I think I did scream that to my parents uh, because my parents were very emotional and very expressive, uh, but they um, they had wicked fights, never physical in any way, but just like, you know, and it was like at a certain point, I think I was at like 10 or 11. I was like, why are you guys? Together? I mean, I, I said, why are you guys together? Uh, what did you remember what they said? Um, you know, it was just one of those moments where during a fight, no one is communicating on a rational because level. The sex is fabulous, Christopher. <laughs> All right, I was just checking. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> right, right. Um, we couldn't hear him over the Donkey Kong. That's right. <laughs> I could, well, video games helped. I, uh, I was wondering, um, a lot of, like, uh, in my head when I'm talking to people, I find a lot of growing up and uh, being, like, a like is, a, is like, forgiving your parents just yeah. for just being people. Yeah. And uh, it's like I try to tell uh, some of my friends that when they're just like, ah, oh, my dad is blah, like they kind of still have all those like I was like, you got to understand they're just they're like like you're as old as they were now. And like you just kind of got to chalk it up to like it's like, hey, they're just a pr- they're just people. They're, they're not gods. Yeah, exactly. Just like, you know, forgive them for being fuck ups, forgive them for being dumb, forgive them for being irritating. You know, um, we are because I think we're biologically programmed as children to. That is the ruler of our universe. That is the ruler of my universe, and I need to stick close to them so I can survive. It's a, it's and a do commandment, it. too. And then at know? a certain point, and then at a certain point, if you don't kind of start to not be disrespectful, but realize, like, they're infallible. I mean, like, they're yeah. not infallible. They're, they're, they're fallible creatures that, uh, that it really, it, it's, it's, a, it's a healthy thing. It's a healthy thing to be yeah. able to do. Yeah, and, and to be able to have compassion. Like, my mom is, a, is a, it feels weird to say this so publicly, but she's a sick person. You know, she, I believe that she believes what she believes. Um, but I have, I have tremendous compassion for her. I I had to cut contact with her. Um, and it's been probably four months just because I don't feel safe around her. And I, I left her a message and I said, um, I don't hate you. I'm not angry with you. I just need a break because I'm exhausted by our relationship. And so I'm probably going to, um, communicate with her again just through letter uh, because it feels safer to me and, and I'm sure I'll go back to visiting her but I just I needed that space to be able to process stuff and to and to have have some compassion for her and, and can, I, can I ask you a truly horrible question sure and you won't be mad at me no but it is but it is something that I'm curious about um, what if in this moment, you're not communicating with her. She dies. How will uh, you feel? I've thought about that. I would be okay. Uh, I would be okay with it because um, I spent 40 years of my life putting her needs first, mm-hmm. and it almost killed me. It almost killed me. And 
cutting contact with her was the hardest thing I ever had to do. I felt like there, a part of my chest was just had a gaping hole in it. Yeah. And it hurt so bad, but I got to the other side of that and I was able to feel strength in not being a puppet. Not that she consciously is a puppeteer, but she's she's not mentally well and she can be really volatile. It's like one moment she's telling me I'm the greatest person on earth in a way that's almost creepy and like overly mm-hmm. drinking me in and then the, the next moment telling me that this is stupid and denying that something I actually experienced ever happened. Oh yeah. Well wow. that's that's not a stable environment yeah. for no. to to So to to give myself distance from that to be able to process it feels really good. Um and I and I think I had to do that because if I would have been taking her phone calls while I was processing that stuff, I would have been so phony talking to her because I wouldn't have been able to say anything other than I'm I'm really fucked up over what happened to me as a kid. Yeah. And I didn't want to do that. She's 84 years old. She's not going to change. No, probably so I, not at this I point. I don't want her to to have to deal with that because she if she were 60, I think that that might be different. But um you know, I talked to my therapist about it. I there's no way I could have gone through this thing alone and I just didn't have the perspective. So, you know, I talked to people in the support group. I talked to my therapist. I talked to my wife. You know, when, I, when the, this whole thing came up and I was finally able to see what my mom was really like, it was, I'd always had this fantasy when I was in like first grade of going to a, an older girl on the playground and wrapping my arms around her and just being able to sob. And I didn't know why. And, and I've really had it my whole life. And when I got into therapy, I realized, oh, you know, I wasn't mothered properly, but I didn't know what it was that kid wanted to say. And when this stuff finally came up and I finally took that option off the table of your, your mom couldn't possibly have not loved you. When, once I took that option off the table, this emotion came up and I went to my wife and I asked her for a hug and I wrapped my arms around her and the words came out. I said, she tricked me and she used me. I didn't deserve it. I was a good boy. And I sobbed the deepest tears I've ever, ever sobbed. And, and my wife said, I've been waiting 20 years for you to say that. Holy wow. shit. So she felt it the whole time, but she can't say anything to you about that. The first that. hour she saw my mom, she knew that that's, that's what was was going on and she has always told me you have not fully dealt with your stuff with your mom you are underestimating how much damage she has caused well because you. because again going back to the whole sort of like we're adaptable thing we just accept we we will just accept horrible circumstances as like no this is just how it is whatever it's not a big deal this is just how it is meanwhile all of the all of the lower levels of your brain which you don't have you know direct access to all the time are just sort of figuring out, like, just like a Rubik's Cube, like, how the fuck do I solve this, you know? like, And then before before you know it, it just starts bubbling up in other weird areas. It's going to come out. 
So you might as well have it come out in a way that's healthy that causes the least amount of damage. And that's what, what therapy does for me. I it was able to come up and out as opposed to me, you know, shooting somebody on the freeway because they cut me off. Because that's yeah. the other way it used to come out is I would get in fights. Uh, you know, I the things that I, I play hockey and the things that I used to do when I would get mad <laughs> playing hockey, you, uh, I, I got in a fight one time with a guy and I did, wasn't able to get a good punch in. And so the referees pulled me off him and I was so angry that I tried to spit at the guy and my spit hit the referee in the face. (laughs) So you don't get to stay in the game after that then? Uh, I got banned for like six games and, you know, my friends all made fun of me. But that's where my anger goes if if I don't process it in in a way that's that's healthy. So, so the the long and short of it is, you know, just because we're we're about at our hour here is, uh, <laughs> I sound like a therapist. We're about at our hour, Paul. Uh, is uh, is don't don't try to deal with shit on your own. Find someone that you can talk to who you know is safe and won't judge you and will let you kind of deal. Like, you know, even if that other person, even if that therapist is a the kind of therapist that won't necessarily interfere but just get you to stir up your own thoughts and be a sounding board. Sometimes just being able to say stuff out loud will make you go when you hear it hit you back in the ears and you're like, Oh, Oh, wait a minute. You know, like you kind of have those moments. So it's really, really, really important to do that. And, uh, you know, uh, mental illness, happy hour is your podcast, mental, mentalpod.com. Yep. Uh, and then, you know, it, 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 the surveys, I think, is a, is a really, really fun is a really fun idea. Mm. I mean, not I mean, obviously not everything that comes out of it is fun, right. but it's an interesting way to at least maybe help people start to make some of those first steps or asking some of those questions. But ultimately, you know, um, and there's a forum, too, on the. On oh, the website. OK, great. And that's a great way to initially get stuff up. Oh, so a nice, nice get support a group. Board with yeah. other people. But I think I think the important thing, and I think the thing that you're that you're a testament to is, you know, pretty much no matter what you're going through, that ultimately, you know, uh, you you can be okay. I think that's the important message for people to take away is, no matter how dark or no matter how deep it feels. Uh, like you're just in a where it's like the ring where you're in a well and you just see like a tiny ring of light, you know, like you you can you can get out of it. Somebody that, else has lived it. Somebody <laughs> else has lived it. Somebody else has lived it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why that's why support groups. Uh, you know, I, I it was very comforting to me, you know, particularly with anxiety or like drinking or whatever, like, oh, because we all want to be unique. But there's something really cool about in those moments of feeling like I am not unique at all, which means that this is territory that has been dealt with before, which means there are answers. Yes. And there's a community and there are people that will understand. And I'm not just this fucking island of misery. (laughs) Right. You know, I'm actually attached to a (laughs) landmass. I know I'm in my sickness when I think I'm better than people or worse than people. And I know that I'm in a good place when I feel when I'm content being one of one of many. Yeah. And that's, those are the best moments. Is there just as, just before we we never even talked about dinner in a movie, which was a phenomenal show, which is, has like, was on television for like 18 years. Uh, yeah. 16 years from 95 to uh, 2011. But so, so we'll have to have you back on it. Then we'll talk I about dinner. Movie, because dinner movie was a great comedy next time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you so dinner, much. D- for d- dinner on. movie was such a great, great show. And Claude was great. And I know Janet loved being there for like the last six years I that she was on the show. Yeah. And, uh, and you guys did such a wonderful job. And I know that, even 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 as long as the show is on, I know people were really bummed to see the show 
go away because uh, you guys did such a such a great job. Um, how else would I know how to make meatballs when I watch Goodfellas? Seriously, <laughs> <laughs> what were they called? Do you remember what were they called? Did they have a name? Uh, I don't think we showed Goodfellas. Oh, you didn't? Yeah. Oh, okay. It was just a I really thought joke. you were going to say, how am I going to know how to make meatballs? Because when you guys showed meatballs. <laughs> <laughs> These are the meatballs from yeah, meatballs. That's too on the nose for dinner and a movie. Oh, sorry. Thank you. This is, how I made, this is how I learned how to make pizza from Hot Dog the Movie. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Go back and get your shine box of fucking hot dogs. <laughs> Go get your fucking shine box. Uh, but is, is there just sort of one thing? Is there sort of one mantra that you, you know, just to kind of help people as we wrap up this podcast, there's some sort of one mantra. You know, at the end of our episode, we always say, enjoy your burrito, mm -hmm. which is a, which basically just means, as we've explained many times, um, don't live in the past or, or the future, future, just enjoy the present while it's happening, because that's all, that's what you have. Um, but I think rather than saying enjoy your burrito today, is there one thing that you could sort of like send people off with that they could kind of practice to themselves? Keep seeking. Keep seeking. Keep seeking. This, the, the people that are most successful emotionally in life are people that keep uh, keep seeking. Mm -hmm. Also I, great for Quidditch. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. All right, good. <laughs> again, it's good to end the podcast having to explain this. That's a Harry Potter joke. Oh, uh, right. I apologize. I did, I'm sorry I just underscored the entire beautiful message that you had <laughs> with a dumb fucking wizard sport joke. Wouldn't be the next Fake podcast without it. <laughs> hey, come on, Jonah. Just say it's real <laughs> keep seeking I, I think that's a beautiful message always continue to grow always look for growth kind keep of a thing keep seeking that burrito yep <laughs> Uh, and keep seeking uh, mentalpod.com. Paul Gilmartin, I it was a lovely to have you on. Thank you, guys. I really and, appreciate it. And again, uh, I, 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 I urge people to listen to your podcast. Uh, thanks, everyone. Keep seeking. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. This episode of the Nerdist Podcast was brought to you by ThingX.com. Brought to you by Adult Swim and former writers of The Onion. ThingX.com for most, if not all, of your interwebs needs. Murder on My Mind, a new podcast available exclusively on Wondery Plus, explores the circumstances leading up to the murder of two young men and the mistrials of the man accused of killing them. Up-and-coming rapper YNW Melly gained notoriety in the hip-hop world for his shocking lyrics and criminal exploits. When two of his best friends were gunned down in a drive-by shooting, Investigators suspected the young rapper staged the scene. But after not one, but two trials that ended in hung juries and new evidence that may place YNW Melly at the scene of the crime, his trial has been paused indefinitely. With countless twists and turns, Law & Crime covers all angles of the case and begs the question, is this young artist the victim of a witch hunt or a silver-tongued devil who's evil to the core? Listen to Murder on My Mind exclusively and ad-free on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts.